You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the InsideCarolina.com post-game podcast. That means I've got Dewey Burke. I'm host Tommy Ashley. We're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Bert comes in again. I'm Tommy Ashley. It's the post game podcast. Carolina gets back on the winning track 70 to 50 over Appalachian State in the Smith Center. Dewey, uh, you know, after Carolina's performance this weekend, I wasn't really sure what to expect coming into this game. I know what I wanted to see, um, but what did you expect? And then what did you see just overall looking at this one? I don't think anybody ever was concerned about whether or not we would get the win. It was what kind of energy would we come out with? Would any of the lingering effects from Kentucky be there? Yeah, you know, look, I thought this was uh, a a decent performance, nothing overly uh, ecstatic about my feelings as it relates to the game. You know, we did a couple of things that RJ played well. He pushed the pace more uh, than I think we have. Um, you know, early in the season, he was really actively trying to get in transition, which I thought led to a lot of good buckets, but also got them in foul trouble. Obviously, it was great to see Kerwin hit a couple shots and get some minutes. Armando was solid. You know, he's playing well, um, and he's playing consistent like a junior should. Uh, but we still turned the ball over too much. We, we shot the ball poorly from the free throw line. Um you know, and some of the turnovers are frustrating. I think we had at least three, if not four turnovers, just on pick and roll passes where we just threw the ball to the other team. So look, it wasn't anything to be really excited about, uh, but they, they did do some things that, you know, showed you that they weren't hung over from Kentucky, but look, they're going to go home, get a break. And, and it's going to be about what team shows up really, you know, once the ACC starts, that's what matters, not this game. Yeah, I think, and we've talked about it before. I think going home for break with a, with a win is a good thing. I don't know, um, to your point, I don't know if this really offsets what happened against Kentucky, no. but, but at least to have positive vibes or positive thoughts in your head. Is that, is that a big deal going into a Christmas break? I guess they're off for eight days maybe until they play Virginia Tech. Yeah, so if it's anything like what Coach Williams used to do with us, you know, some guys, if they're within driving distance perhaps, went home tonight. And then the balance of guys that need to fly would likely be flying out tomorrow. And my guess is they'll probably have practice, you know, the early evening on the 26th. So that's a real break. You'll get home and and just detach a little bit. Um, all of their friends and people they see at home are going to be talking to them about how they played against Kentucky. That's the nature of the beast, right? Nobody's going to be saying, hey, great win against App State. Nobody's saying that, right? Everybody's going to be saying, man, I saw that Kentucky game in Vegas. So they're going to hear that. So, uh, so yes, you'd like to roll into the holidays off a win, and they, and they are having that. But I talked – with you guys on the radio show, what it was like in 2006 when we flew out to LA and, and got our butts kicked by USC and then rolled into Christmas break and how bad that felt. 
my sense is that it's more those feelings than, as I said, nobody's coming to me and being, hey, great win against App State. That's just not, that's not what we're about. So I think they're going to deal with a little bit of negative noise uh, and probably rightfully so. I mean, you get blown out by 30, you probably have earned that in some respect. Um, but they get a chance to get away, you know, rest their legs and hopefully get mentally ready for, even though it's not the typical ACC, it's, it's still certainly a, a very competitive conference. And they, they play like they played against Tennessee or Kentucky. It's going to be a long conference season. Yeah. Everybody talks about how the ACC is down and maybe historically bad. I saw somebody say, doesn't matter it's relative um and if if carolina doesn't get you're right if they play like they did against kentucky and tennessee i don't care how bad the acc is carolina's gonna be in the middle of the bottom of the barrel um but we'll see carolina of course gets the win tonight 70 to 50 i agree with you baycott's playing well is there anything that you see in baycott's game um that he really needs to improve i feel like he picks up some cheap fouls way too often still but overall his play this year I think he's just more consistent you know his effort level is more consistent he was a player that that it's funny you said what you said that was prone to picking up ticky tack fouls when he would get frustrated he still seems to do it now and again but by and large he's just more consistent his rim running is more aggressive and consistent and so he's getting those pick and roll buckets uh he's got got a couple buckets in transition he's actively pursuing rebounds outside of his area which is obviously a key to the Carolina way uh, that we try to dominate on the offensive glass he's shown the ability to make that 15 17 footer uh, and was the one bright spot really against Kentucky so uh, just consistency but again you should be as a junior that started most of your career and so he's doing what he should be doing um, and, uh, you know, at least so far, save a couple of the power five matchups, he's going to have a size advantage and he's a true post player, true banger. And, uh, and he's, he's played solid, you know, now let's see what can, he can keep those numbers, keep that aggression and, and keep the performance level against power five teams night in and night out. That's the real measuring stick of if you really got better. Um, and that's what we're going to see. So. I think he has. I think his conditioning's also better. Um, and because Brady and Dawson are perimeter-focused bigs, he's our only option in the post. So he's got to stay out of foul trouble, and we've got to be committed to going to him. And, and the last several games, we have been. How difficult is it to coach out of a player picking up the the cheap fouls? Um you know, you've said it, I've said it, you can get back two points, you can't get past, get back a foul. Um, and if he's off the floor, Carolina's in trouble against most every team they'll see from here on out. So how difficult is it to, for a player to change his ways that once picked up the tic-tac fouls to, to get out of that, realizing how important he is? Yeah, I think it's film. I think that's probably your best bet is sitting down with him and saying, hey, look, when you do this, I have to take you off the floor and you don't want to come off the floor. I don't want to take you off the floor. So stop doing this. Right. I mean, it's, I think really it is that simple. And when you show a player clips of unnecessary fouls or frustration fouls, it's hard for them to feel or notice it in the moment, in the heat of the game with adrenaline and everything. But if you step back and say, Hey, come watch film with me for 20 minutes for practice and show him, 
he might say, well, yeah, I see what you mean, right? You know, I see where they doubled me in the post there. I tried to make a, a kickout pass. They tipped it. I turned it over and then I reached and got a silly foul. And whether it's an assistant or, or whether it's Hubert, then you can say to him, we can't afford for you to pick up a foul like that. You know, if you get a foul trying to take a charge, I can live with it. You get a foul trying to block a shot uh, with an aggressive play coming off your man and they call a foul. Okay. But we can't have you getting a, a silly reach or a silly over the back when you clearly don't have position. Those are the things that perhaps you show him on tape and he can, he can see it when it's not in the moment. Uh, and, and then again, it just, that, that comes along with, with mental maturity, which he has shown. Yeah, I think he's been, he's definitely Carolina's best player. Um, I, I think there's some debate whether he's the most important player. Um, we probably could have it, but he's played well. One name you mentioned and, and one name that certainly played uh, better than he has in a while and got more opportunities was Kerwin Walton. Uh, a lot of people think Carolina has to have Kerwin Walton for them to be successful this year. Where do you put that um, in this team's success or failure in this ACC? How important is Kerwin's play? Yeah, look, I, I'm going to say this. I'm not, I'm not trying to start something, a rumor or anything. I just feel like something was wrong with him, perhaps, over the last three, four weeks, because it's, it's, it's very puzzling that he would go from playing a bunch of minutes and everything he did last year to playing almost none to now playing 16 minutes. Um, and, and so maybe that's something we find out. Maybe it isn't. I, I don't know anything. I haven't heard anything. Just take my words for the way I'm saying them. I just feel like maybe there was something going on uh, and for him to be in that big of a slump or go through games where he didn't even attempt a field goal. Uh, so that's the first part of my answer. Secondly, we are shooting the ball much better this year than we have over the past couple of years as a team. But that being said, he's still our best pure shooter. And so if we want to continue to get the ball into Armando and, and give him scoring opportunities, if we want the other bigs and, and the perimeter guys to have driving lanes, having a knockdown shooter is incredibly critical. I understand and I read the message boards, people have criticized Kerwin's defense and there's some merit to that. But I don't think, I just don't think that was what, I think there was something going on. I, I just don't know how else to assess it. Um, and so hopefully he's past that, played 16 minutes tonight, hit a couple of shots, Looked good, you know, got some loose balls, pushed the ball in transition and looked more normal. So, you know, between he and Caleb and RJ and then Brady and Dawson, figuratively, we should have five shooters, five guys that are truly a threat from the perimeter. But he has not been one of them of late. And so it just remains to be seen if if he's back to playing 15 to 20 minutes or does he go back to playing four minutes and not shooting, you know, we'll just have to see. You're listening to Dewey Burke. I'm Tommy Ashley. This is Inside Carolina Postgame Podcast. Carolina wins 70 to 50 over Appalachian State. And, of course, Johnny T-shirt is your place to be for all your Carolina gear. Dewey, that being said about Kerwin's time, I think one of the, the most puzzling things or one of the most – I will say one of the most challenging things for Carolina fans used to the way Dean Smith – and then Roy Williams did things, is the rotation, especially early this season. It's been seven, eight deep pretty consistently. I think tonight, even in App State, you had one, two, three. You had 
three two guys play over 30 minutes manic was at 29 love and black 25 and 24 so still some heavy minutes what are your thoughts on the rotation uh, this has been the biggest thing that's been all over the message boards and all over Carolina fandom is the difference. I think it's just different. I don't necessarily know if it's bad, but I'd like your thoughts. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, it, is it a fair statement that several times throughout the, co- the course of Coach Williams's career, people complained about him playing too many people? We played 11 guys, 12 guys, and there was a problem with that. And so it's kind of damned if you do. There's a little bit of that here. Um, I, I The argument being made is, hey, we're not playing that great. Try some other stuff. Play these two freshmen. Why isn't Kerwin playing? Why did we get Justin McCoy if he's not going to play? Okay, I, I understand. Uh, but isn't it also fair that we're 11 games in? Like Hubert is still figuring this out. And – He's still trying to manage the rotation. He played more guys tonight, right? He, I mean, if you look down seven minutes, is that's not a ton for McCoy or Dunn. I get it. But, I mean, he really went 10 deep tonight or at least eight, which is a little bit different than what we've seen. And, and I think the reality is, is Hubert still doesn't know. Um, uh, or, or not doesn't know. He's still figuring out how he wants his rotation to look. And so – Again, Coach Williams would play 12 guys and people would complain that the five-star guys weren't getting enough minutes because he was playing everybody. Uh, that, that was happening my senior year. You know, the, the, the freshman year of Lawson, Brandon Wright, Ellington, um, and Dion and Alex Stevenson, those five guys all got a chance to play. And then we also had Rayshon and Wes and Bobby and Marcus and Danny and Tyler. I mean, and everybody played at least early, right? And then it started to whittle itself down. And I'm sure people complained then, like, wow, Ellington's not getting enough shots. And, you know, Brandon Wright's not getting enough touches in the put. So, like, I hear it. I understand. And I'm not meaning to ramble and not answer. I just, like, let's come on. Let's give them a little time. I know we don't have patience because we're Carolina basketball and, and we expect to win right this moment. I get it. But we are in a transition. And so let's see, let's have this conversation February 1st. That's what I would encourage people to just, I get it. We're pissed how we played against Kentucky. So is I. Like it, again, we talked about this before. If, if the fans could read our group text chat, right, with a bunch of guys that they love and guys that are in the rafters, it bothers us just as much. Right. It, we hate it, too, because it's that's the jersey we wore. Right. Uh, so we hate it, too. However, you know, I think we can acknowledge the transition. So let's just see. Let's talk about this on February 1st. Let's see where we are. Yeah, 100 percent fair there. We are just 11 games in one one question I have based off that. And, and you know, I think we can agree is that. If you did not give effort or if you if you loafed, Roy Williams would take you out and Dean Smith would take you out and you might not be seen again, but you would definitely get out. And in that Kentucky game, I felt like there was some loafing. That might be kind of a strong word, but there, there were opportunities to provide more effort than were provided. Mm-hmm. And those guys did not really come out. 
is that a thing that I'm seeing or is that a thing? Because the reason it, it I'll say the if a guy on a bench sees a guy playing less hard than he should, how does that mentality there, Dewey, when you're seeing that and guys aren't going to the bench? Just yeah, from a player standpoint. Doesn't help. Look, it's a very fair question. Very fair on point question. What what we can't know and what I can't give you and the listeners is how Hubert is handling that in the locker room or at practice. Because Coach Williams, I can tell you, I know. I know exactly what he would say. I know exactly. I mean, he, and he would he would chew you. He would chew you out on the bench. He would chew you out in the locker room. He'd chew you out in film. He'd throw his coat. All the stuff that we've seen him do for almost 20 years, right? Hubert's different. His personality is different. And his management of the team, he's, he's doing it differently. So he doesn't appear to be uh, a, a get red-faced screamer like Coach Williams was. I also can't tell you exactly what Coach Smith was like. You'd have to tell me, right? Uh, but I think it was probably more like Coach Williams. Um, but what we don't know is how Hubert handles that in film, handles that in practice, what he says to him. But look, when the bright lights are on and you got guys that are giving less than maximum effort, it doesn't look great. And that's fair. And so one of the things you've heard me say on this podcast before and a mantra of Coach Williams is, was I don't promise to treat you equally. I promise to treat you fairly and fair for each one of you is different. So again, I'm repeating myself. We've been doing this for so long. He, Coach Williams could not yell at Tyler. He could not yell at Tyler because you knew that guy was already giving absolute maximum effort. If you then yelled at him, I don't know that he would have known how to take it in really because like, I, I'm already trying the hardest I can. I made a mistake. You know, I'm going to keep trying the hardest I can. Whereas other guys, I mean, he used to get, he kill Rayshon and Danny, you know, ar arguably his most successful pro, not named Paul Pierce, Danny Green. He used to kill him, right? But Danny could take it. He responded to it. And so what I don't know is, are some of the guys that we're referring to that didn't give great effort, maybe Hubert can't yell at those guys. I don't know. Or maybe he just doesn't yell. Maybe there's a good cop, bad cop where one of the assistants does that. Like Coach Rob used to do also. Coach Holiday was the good cop. Coach Rob was the bad cop. Everybody hated Coach Rob in practice. Everybody loved Coach Holiday. That's the way it was. There was strategic decision-making by Coach Williams behind that. And so that's, those are the things we just don't know yet. You know, we have to figure them out and learn and watch 11 games. There's no excuse for poor effort in any game, let, it go, let alone against Kentucky. If Coach, was, Coach Williams was coaching, it would have been five in, five out. He'd have done it, right? We saw him do it. Hubert's different. We have to see how he's going to manage these things. Yeah, that's that's fair as well. I uh, it, it is funny to me um, the way this one and done and the transfer thing and you don't have guys for three and four years anymore. It's hard to know what guys can take. Like you said, he didn't start out blistering Danny. You have to learn that Danny can take that. And you got to learn that somebody like Hansbro, there's no need and all that. And I just don't think in this era, it's as easy to learn these guys. And, and you think when Coach Williams started figuring out that he could get on Danny and Danny respond, that he ever in his wildest dreams thought, 
oh, if I ride him too hard, Danny might leave. He might transfer somewhere. He never thought it. That never happened. That yep. never entered his mind, right? Not only because if Danny left, he would have had to sit out a year, but it just wasn't a thing, right? Yep. It's just that that just wasn't something a coach worried about, right? Absolutely. And now, to your point, like, it has to be somewhere in the back of Coach Davis's mind, like, if I rip so-and-so so hard, do I get a text the next day from his dad being like, hey, I'm coming to pick him up. He's leaving. Like, that, is, that can happen now. And so, I don't know. The game changed. The profession changed is the better statement. The profession changed. And so, we're watching someone try to figure it out right in front of our eyes. Yep. And it's on full display for everybody. And you add in social media and all that. I always like the Frank Martin comment and he's obviously got his issues as well, but he says the, the kids haven't changed. The parents are the ones that have changed over the years. And, and I tend to agree that being a parent myself and you, you're getting there, you will know. Soon yeah. Enough. Yeah. And, but, but, and the profession, right, Tommy, right. The because profession you have, of being you have a to coach manage. Changed. Yeah. It's more yeah. management now than it is coaching and teaching. Well, there's a line in there somewhere. You have to psychologist and all that kind of stuff these days. Let's look at uh, going forward. So it's a wait and see as far as how Hubert's going to be. I don't think it's fair to say 11 games in, like you say, this is how it's going to be. So let's we'll check back in on February 1st or thereabouts and see where we're at. But let me get your biggest surprise thus far for this team. 11 games in, 8-3, and 9-3, whatever they are. Uh, what has surprised you the most so far this season? I think typically when someone asks you that question, it's what was what's the most positive surprise you have had. I, I think the biggest surprise is Kerwin for me. Uh, I think we thought after the way he finished last year that he was going to be a starter and he was going to be a flamethrower. And even though he was a scouted, uh, you know, it would be a known quantity, let's say, um, because he had shot the ball well enough the prior year. I still think, you know, I really felt like he was going to be, you know, double figure scorer, shooting the lights out, playing a ton of minutes. And that just hasn't happened. I maintain what I said earlier that I just feel like something wasn't right. Maybe personally, family, injury. I don't know. Uh, but that to me has been the biggest surprise. What about disappointment? For I'll, I will say watching this team, the biggest disappointment to me would be to see the lack of focus and yeah. energy and effort. I know some people say energy and effort are different, but you, everybody knows what I'm talking about when I say that. Sure. The Tennessee and the Kentucky we, games are unexpected. Right. You can agree. You, you would agree with that. And the, the biggest disappointment is that we have uh, effort and focus questions going into a game, right? Uh, I think we thought after Tennessee, then they ran off a string and played solid. They were building. You know, you like think, oh, we're not going to worry about that again. Like we might lose to Kentucky or have lost to UCLA, but not for that. And then we get blown off the floor, right? You weren't ready for that to resurface as a, as a issue for Hubert to have to deal with again. So um, that certainly is the biggest disappointment that twice out of a, a small sample set of games, 
he's had to sit there and talk about being unhappy with the effort. That's definitely the biggest disappointment. Yeah. Is it logical and rational for people that never played the game to wonder why it's so difficult for athletes to get up for every game? Is that a fair question? Um, I, that's a great question. Um, I, I do think it's both. I think yes, from the standpoint of if you have never played or never did it, or you did play, but at a different level, you see this Carolina basketball and you're like, God, you're so lucky. You get to do that. You get to wear that Jersey. How could you ever give less than maximum effort? And I understand that. I understand why people say that at the same time, you have no idea what it's like to be a Carolina basketball player. It's mostly the greatest thing you can get to do, but on, and I can't even speak to it because I didn't have this. The, the guys that are playing the heavy minutes, that have the reputation, that have the McDonald's ranking, the, and the amount of pressure those guys feel to play well enough to represent the jersey and then hopefully play well enough to be a pro at 18 or 19 has to be a really heavy weight. And it wasn't that long ago, all the guys I played with that end up going pro they didn't deal with this. They didn't, we did not deal with it. And so those guys at every moment of the day, except for when they're at practice or in a game, are four seconds away from reading a bunch of stuff about themselves, positive or negative. And we don't understand what that's like psychologically. And so that's why I say it's both things. I get it. It's, it's very logical to say, how could those guys wear that jersey? They're disrespecting Coach Smith. They're disrespecting Coach Williams and all the guys that came. Okay, okay. You also have no idea what it's like. You have no idea. So I think both answers are fair. Right. And it's not just Carolina. I mean, it's every major college athlete or any college athlete. It's not quite as simple as saying play hard every game. And do you, you know. It's, yeah, it's, you, you, look, you don't know who's in their ear. Their mom, their dad, their uncle, their older brother, their AU coach. Hey, you got to get more shots up. You know, your stats aren't aren't laying out that you're going pro anytime soon. What are you doing? I don't care what Hubert's telling you. You need to get your shots up. You need to, like, if pe people are chirping in their ear and then they're reading social media, all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, I can't even focus on what coach is trying me to do. And then it, it extrapolates itself in maybe a lack of effort. I don't know, right? But, it's, look, it's, it is not simple anymore. It just isn't. It's just not, hey, I'm going to play hard because that's what we do. It's, it's just not that simple anymore. It's, it's more complicated than that, unfortunately. Yeah. Let me ask you a question from Twitter. Uh, Kent says, Dewey, do you think the team is falling in love with the three-pointer a little more than it should or are players just settling for those shots instead of driving? I, I, the three-point shot is tremendous tremendously important in this offense but do you think they're shooting too many or break that down a little bit and then we'll get out of here I don't you know I look I think when the reality is when you have one post player and other than Caleb you don't have a ton of athleticism to finish around the rim on the perimeter RJ's undersized uh Leakey is not an explosive athlete Kerwin certainly isn't um, and then the other guys that are playing for under minutes, you know, Anthony's not going to go bang on you. We just, 
so because of the makeup of the roster, and then you add the fact that two of our three prim, uh, post players are outside in guys, just that's what it's going to lend itself to that, right? We shot the ball well. Um, the analytics dictate that a questionable three, uh, a couple questionable threes is, is going to bear itself out statistically better than contested twos or RJ at the rim. Cause more often than not, he's not finishing there, uh, versus Caleb taking a contested three. It just, the analytics bear that out, right? The NBA has proven it. That's unequivocal. You can't argue it. And so I don't know what falling in love with the three means if the way they practice is if you're open, shoot it, right? Regardless of one pass or five passes, that's what you're going to do. That's not how it was with Coach Williams, right? It, that we, we played in transition. We pushed the ball. We took the first great shot we could get, but we didn't force threes. It just wasn't the way we played. And so this is an evolution also for the Carolina fan you know, if, if those fans, if you guys don't watch a lot of NBA, uh, I can see why the question makes sense, but watch an NBA game, right? Right, wrong, and different. That's the, that's where basketball is. That's the future. Uh, that's the present and, and the future. So, you know, those guys, they, you might see a hundred threes in an NBA game. So it's just the nature of the, the way the game is played now. It's not what we're used to with all the bigs we've had and how coach played, but I think it's the norm now. I agree. Very different game than even Carolina played last year and in past years. Dewey, it's always fun, man. I know it's the holiday season. I know you got a lot going on, but I appreciate you taking time to get in on this one. I, I can't wait till we can talk more as the season progresses, dig into these games a little more, dig into what's going on a little more, but it's always a pleasure, man. Definitely. Thanks, Tom. You've been listening to the Inside Carolina Post Game Podcast, Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Sponsors, you need to support them, look after them. They look after us. We'll talk soon. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.